I might spend about 70 to 80 years on this earth. Not long when you consider the timeline of eternity. Have you ever wondered what life is all about? Every day we get bombarded with the message to pursue the things of this world. Make money, get stuff, be comfortable, live well. More, 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 and me, me, me. That's the prevailing message of our day. Our generation has a hijacked version of the American dream. But as Christians, we know deep down this distorted view of life isn't real life. We read what the Bible teaches and we see how Jesus lived. Every day we face a choice to pursue the me, me, me mindset of the American dream or to pursue Christ. What if this generation was willing to trade in the pursuit of the American dream for a world that desperately needs Christ to be traitors? A trader is a new kind of missionary, not defined by geography. Where you live doesn't make you a missionary. The mission you're on makes you a missionary. Being a trader is a movement that requires us to live out our faith, not just talk about it. As a trader, we must choose daily to sacrifice and be intentional with our time, money, and skills. We can be like the Good Samaritan in the parable. When we're on the road of life and see someone in need, we choose to help. We follow Jesus' instructions to go and do likewise. A trader must hate injustice and find specific ways to bring the hope found in Jesus to desperate situations. It's easy to identify what you hate. What makes your heart break and your fists clench? A trader sees work as worship. Everything you do in life, including your job, can be an opportunity to worship the God who created you. Because God is glorified when we use our God-given passions and skills with excellence. And finally, a trader must act swiftly because the time is right now. The result of all this would be a generation of traders who are making choices with their time, money, and passions that are kingdom-focused and not self-focused so that our short time here can have an eternal impact. All right. Uh, Join me as I uh, pray before I begin. Father, we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday this Sunday, um, an important day, a day that commemorates the, the birth of the church, and uh, you've given us a mission, and that is to go into the world, into all the world, and make disciples, to preach the gospel to all creation. And you've placed within us your Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So, Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom for the next four weeks as we talk about what it means to be a trader, trading our own pursuits for the kingdom of God. Would you speak to us, Lord, and move in our lives so that we can bring you, bring hope into this world that desperately needs you. Just take a moment and uh, just pray to yourself, asking the Lord to speak to you this morning. And now I ask that you pray for me that God would use me to speak to you this morning. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's really snowing out there, man. That's just crazy. Anyways. Yes, John, snow reminds us that we've been washed as white as snow. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right, okay. 
Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. Isn't that interesting? It's been 50 days already since Easter. Time flies. Today is a day um, many Christians all over the world are celebrating today. Now, not all churches, you know, take Pentecost Sunday as a big deal, but it really is a big deal. Uh, it commemorates a huge event that happened um, in, in Christian history. It was the day the first Jesus People movement began. It was the day the church was born, the day the followers of Jesus traded their lives, traded their pursuits for a life of pursuing the kingdom of God. And something incredible happened to them. We can read about that in Acts chapter 2, where it talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers. God filled them with his spirit. God was in them. God was all around them. And it changed them. It changed who they were. It changed the world around them. It eventually changed the entire Roman Empire. It did. Now, it didn't happen right away, though. Rome didn't change right away. It took hundreds of years. And the first hundred, few hundred years was very difficult for Christians. Very difficult. They were being persecuted. They were being martyred, burned. I mean, beheaded, it was, it was brutal. Yet even in the midst of that kind of suffering, the church grew. In fact, it exploded. The more persecution they faced, the more the church grew. The second century church father, Tertullian, once wrote this. He said, the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. And what he was implying by that was saying that, you know, these followers of Jesus, they were willing to sacrifice their lives. They were willing to give up their lives the way that they were actually led others to conversion. Other people would see their faith and be like, wow, they've got something and I want what they have. Right? The more persecution they faced, the more the church grew. People didn't understand that. They're like, what is that? People don't even follow Caesar that way. Who is this Jesus? I want to know more. And that's what happened. Right? Because they were in a situation, Hope Rome was in a situation where there was very little hope, right? Things were crumbling all around them. Nations were attacking them. There was very little hope. But the Christians had something. They had hope. And it was out of this world, a hope that's totally out of this world. Rome wanted that hope. Rome needed that hope. And eventually, they found Jesus. Lots of Romans found Jesus. They found hope in him. And he still gives that hope to us today, right? We Christians have something so valuable inside us Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. Okay. The world is the same today as it was in Rome. People need hope. They need the hope that we have inside us. Now, I'm not sure if you're the news-watching type. If you've been watching the news lately, for the last little while, especially if you're watching the American news, okay, there's a lot of stuff on politics on the news. Right? And there's one name that's on the headlines. Seems like every day he's on the headlines. Right? And that name is Donald Trump. Okay? I'm not going to be political here. I'm just using him as an example. Okay? But, um, his name's just all over the news. And, uh, if you've watched Mr. Trump's speeches, you would know that, you know, he just pretty much says whatever. I mean, whatever. No reservation. He just speaks. Right? Speaks his mind. And, um, Again, I'm not going to get into any, any sort of politics, but there's one thing that he said that just has stuck with me. And uh, I don't even think he realizes the power of 
these words that he said. But you know what Trump said? He said publicly that the American dream is dead. That's what he said. Donald Trump said the American dream is dead. Now, of course, Trump was saying this to, you know, lead people to vote for him because he's, he's the one that's saying, listen, I, I'm going to fix it. Yeah, but the American, the American dream's dead, but I'm going to fix it, right? But what he said was actually quite profound. In fact, it was a prophetic statement about the American dream. What is the American dream? The American dream is the pursuit of happiness through consumerism. Work hard, earn money, buy things, be happy. That's the American dream. And Mr. Trump said it's dead. That speaks volumes. Because Trump, if you think about it, he's a multi-billionaire. He can buy anything he wants. He is the personification of the American dream. He is the American dream. He is it. And yet he said the American dream is dead. That's a prophetic statement. You know what he's actually saying? He's actually saying the American dream was never alive. It was never real. It's an illusion. It was never alive. Ultimate happiness cannot be achieved through things, through stuff we acquire. You can't buy happiness. You can't obtain it that way. We, they give us momentary pleasure, right? When we buy something new, it gives us momentary pleasure, but then it, it's fleeting. It goes away and it leaves us wanting something more. It's an illusion. Yet so many people in the West, I mean, including Canada, this isn't just an American phenomenon. We have this here as well. So many people chase after materialism for life fulfillment, but never actually find it. They never actually obtain it. King Solomon talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says it's, it's like chasing after wind. You can't catch wind. It's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. The American dream's like that. It's like chasing after wind. You can't actually obtain it. You keep pursuing it and it leaves you empty. Yet people continue to pursue it, thinking it will bring happiness. It's such a hopeless situation. There's no hope in that. The church has the answer to that. We have hope that this world needs desperately. We have it inside us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The church has it and we need to give it to the world. And in order for us to give it to the world, we need to become traders. Just like the early church, just like the early Jesus movement, we need to be those who trade our own pursuits for the greatest pursuit, which is the kingdom of God. Maybe you've had some similar thoughts as I have, okay? Before becoming a pastor, I worked in manufacturing, um, several different jobs, and you know, I met a lot of coworkers. And, uh, you know, you, you get to know your coworkers. Most of the time you're just having superficial conversations, whatever, nothing really deep. But, uh, you know, you share lunch together, you see each other every day, and then little by little you get to know them more and more, and then, you know, you talk about more deeper things. And, um, you know, I would 
have lunch breaks with some of my coworkers, and and they would share about their life, uh, their family situation, broken, broken situations. And I heard many stories, tragic stories, stories of hopelessness, stories of addictions, broken families. It's, it, was, it's, it was sad hearing all these stories. And this thought would come to my mind. And in fact, it would come to my mind often. And the thought was this, man, if they could just meet Jesus. How many of you have ever thought that? Right? You're talking to someone. If they could just meet Jesus. Right? If only they could meet Jesus. Maybe it was for a coworker that you're working with and they're just circling around the mountain of hopelessness and you're like, dude, you just need Jesus. Maybe it's a family member, a brother, sister. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Maybe it's uncle, aunt, whoever, somebody close to you, your neighbors. And you're thinking, oh man, if they could just meet Jesus. Now hearing me say this, there may be some of us here this morning that's that immediately, immediately you're asking, okay, yes, 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 I do have those people. What, what do we need to do, James? What do we need to do? What are some of the steps we need to take to reach people for Jesus? What are the methods we need to apply to reach people for Jesus? I'm so glad you asked me that because there is something very important that we need to know. More Equally important uh, than doing something. This morning, I want to suggest that although the doing part is essential, right? We need to do something. That's the essence of being missional. Jesus said, go, right? That's an action word. We need to do something. But I'm suggesting that there is something equally important, and it is the being part. Who we are is equally important as what as what we do. Okay. A huge part of the conversion of Rome wasn't just from the miracles, the signs and the wonders and the, and the evangelism, although that was crucial. Okay. A huge part of the conversion of Rome was from the believers and the character that they displayed, the character of Christ in the believers that shocked people into thinking, what do they have? What is it about these Christians? I want what they have. That's, that was a huge contributing factor to the conversion of Rome. Who we are is super important before what we do. Because we can do something that we are not. We can say things that we are not. And man, the world can smell that a mile away. Right? Preaching but not practicing. They have a word. The world has a word for people like that. It's called hypocrites. Right? So the doing part must flow out of the being part. That's what spoke loudly in the early church. Because those early Christians, they were joyful in the midst of suffering. They took care of broken people. They sacrificed their lives. Okay, It spoke volumes. And it eventually caused Rome to change their opposition towards them. Right? Instead of killing them, they gave them favor. And church, we live in a time where we need that now too. Right? Our voice is being squashed in, in the world around us. I believe there's coming a day where things are going to turn around, where people will begin to see, wow, there's something about these Christians. There's something different about them. I want what they have. We're going to see that day. But in order for us to see that day, you and I, we need to be 
traders. We need to trade our pursuits for the kingdom of God. Last week, we had a guest speaker, for those of you who, who are here, um, Jay Calder, Steph Clayton's uh, father, was speaking. And uh, for the first five minutes, I, I don't think I've ever had a preacher do this. Um, he, he was turned like this and spoke to me. How many of you, I mean, I'm sure there, there are those of you who could say, man, that preacher was speaking to me, man. When he was talking, it's like God was speaking right to me. He was speaking right to me. How many of you had an experience like that, right? But how many of you can actually say, he was actually talking to me. <laughs> he was actually looking at me <laughs> and preaching at me. It was great, okay? But in that, in that, uh, that part of the sermon, he was mentioning, he mentioned John chapter 15. And it's interesting because I've been camping on John 15 for a few weeks now. And when he mentioned that, I realized, wow, this is confirmation. You know, it's awesome when, when God speaks to you that way, where, you know, you're looking at a passage in scripture and all of a sudden maybe you're driving and Faith FM is on and that Bible verse is being talked about. You're like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, God's highlighting things for you. And that, that's, that's what it was last Sunday because I was looking at John 15, studying it, meditating on it. And, uh, Jay Calder addressed it. And I think, I don't, it wasn't just for me. It was for the church. Okay. It was for all of us. Because John, John chapter 15 is crucial. We need to understand what jo- Jesus is saying in John 15 for us to get the being part. Okay. So that the doing part will follow. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. And I'll be reading, uh, verse 5. John chapter 15. If you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Uh, It will be on the screen as well. But John chapter 15, verse uh, 5 says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Wow. Jesus says, apart from him, we can't do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the secret to being a traitor is not trying harder. Okay? The secret to being a traitor is staying connected to the source, which is Christ. Perhaps you've known the name Hudson Taylor. Have you ever heard of the name Hudson Taylor? Famous missionary uh, to China. In fact, he was the one who led hundreds of missionaries for the first time into mainland China back in the uh, 1800s. He had a really neat method that, you know, I actually use this philosophy for, you know, reaching people. He he dressed in the, the Chinese clothing to fit in. And, um, you know, I'd do things like that. I'd shave my head when I went to... uh Young offender custody facility places so I could fit in with the, with the boys that are, you know, incarcerated. I, you know, and it worked. It worked. And, uh, that's what he did. And he reached many people for the Lord. Famous, famous guy. Now in 1869, when he was 37 years old, he entered a new phase of life. And he began to read John chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. And, uh, it just, it began to really, give him a deeper, more constant, more satisfying experience of abiding in Christ. And this is what his son wrote in 1932 about his dad. He said, 
Here was a man, almost 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and untroubled. Oh, the pile of letters, any, any one of which contained news of death, lack of funds, riots, serious trouble, yet all were opened, read, and answered with the same tranquility. Christ, his reason for peace, his power for calm, dwelling in Christ, he drew upon his very being and resources, and this he did by an attitude of faith, as simple as it was continuous, yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it save the scriptural expression, in God. He was in God all the time and God in him. It was that true abiding of John 15. The secret to Hudson Taylor's ministry, right, in the face in all sorts of troubles, was abiding in Christ. So how do we abide in Christ? Well, it would help us if we understood what that meant. The word abide means to remain. Okay, the Greek word meno is what uh, is translated there for abide. Meno means to remain, to continue, to endure. So to abide in Christ means to remain in him. And really the vine, the vine metaphor is perfect, right? Because a healthy vine, if a branch comes out of a healthy vine and it is connected to the vine, if it's remaining in the vine, it's going to be healthy. Right? A healthy vine will create healthy branches. Remember the ice storm we had? So many, you know, branches of trees were broken off. Sometimes you'll see a branch that's kind of half broken and it's not properly connected to the source. It's not going to grow healthy. In fact, it's probably going to fall off. Right? And in the same way, our lives must be connected to Christ. We must remain in Him. The true vine. So that we can receive the nutrients we need to grow and to produce fruit. It's a choice we make daily. Now, the key to remaining in Christ, turn to your neighbor and say, there's a key. Okay? Listen, this is the key. Okay? It's found in verse 7 and 8. Okay? This is what it says in verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Now I'm going to give a bit of a spoiler alert for those of us who are taking the Hearing God seminar. Um, we're going to be talking more about this, uh, this coming Wednesday at session three of the Hearing God seminar. Um, but right there in verse seven, okay, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, the word translated words is rhema. Not logos. Now, if you look at John chapter 1 and it says, the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Do you remember that part in John, the beginning of John? That is logos. Okay. This word for word is rhema. And that is significant because rhema is more than just written words on a page. Rhema is a word that God speaks out of the page. When God highlights, reveals, speaks to you personally out of his word. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say that? When you read a passage in scripture, you could be reading Psalms, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And all of a sudden, something wells up inside you. Wow, I needed to hear that. I really needed that. Or you're going through a circumstance and God, and you, and you read, cast all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. And God speaks to you out of that. What kind of experience is that? It's amazing. It gives you faith. Gives you strength, courage to, to move on, right? That's called a rhema word when God speaks to you. That's what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15. The words that I speak to you remain in them. The words that I highlight to you remain in them. Stay connected to that word. When Jesus gives you a promise, you could take that one to the bank, okay? Because listen, when somebody tells you something, if you're going through a tough struggle, this, by the way, I'm just saying as an example, of course we need to encourage each other when we struggle, when we suffer, right? We, we, we have to encourage each other. But there's times when we're suffering or we're going through a tough time and someone says, oh, don't worry, just trust in God. And it's like in one year, out the other, right? Yeah, thank you for that, but it <laughs> doesn't do anything. When God says that to you, the fear goes away. The doubt goes away. Something happens when God speaks to you. That's what this is talking about. That's what God's saying. That's what Jesus is saying. Let those words that I speak to you remain in you. Stay connected to that. And you know what happens? The world around us sees that. They see that. When God speaks to us and it changes our circumstances, that changes our doubt into faith, our hopelessness into hope, our fear into courage and boldness, the world sees that, and they say, I want what they got. I want that. Because we have a hope inside us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the hope the world is desperately needing. My guess is that Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, would spend time in the Word, in the midst of difficult times, read a passage and God would speak to him and highlight things and that gave him encouragement in those times where he needed provision, in those times where he needed protection, in those times where he needed strength. My guess is that God spoke to him out of his word and his son noticed that and said, wow, he abides in Christ. When we are sustained by Christ and his word, when we are connected to him and remain in him, the world around notices that. And that is the beginning of a Jesus movement. It starts with us choosing daily to remain in Christ, to abide in him, allowing God to speak to us through his word, allowing God to show us things out of his word to bring encouragement when we need it the most. That's the foundation of becoming a traitor, a follower of Jesus, a pursuer of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, in your